Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. This evening I want to talk a little bit about worry and breaking the chokehold of worry. And we have notes for you. If you need notes, would you raise your hand if you didn't get any notes? The ushers are going to make sure. Oh, they're all gone. I tell you what, looky here. I'm always prepared. Here's an extra one. Yours is, yours is a cheat sheet, though. It's already got the answers in it, man. <laughs> oh, sorry. Here, Pastor Don, you just take my notes. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting night. He's got my notes. We're going to chase some rabbits. <laughs> uh, man, before we get into the word, I just want to go to the Lord in prayer. I take it real seriously to be up here, and I just want to go to him really quick before we dive into his word, okay? Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you tonight. And we thank you for your presence. It is so, so sweet. And Father, I pray that tonight that the words that come out of my mouth are your words. These people don't need a message from me. They need a word from the Most High God. And that's what they're here for tonight, Father. I pray that if there's any distractions that are still left over from the day, or any concern about tomorrow, that right now those things would be set aside, done away with, so that your people can hear your word, receive your word, be encouraged and built up, and leave this house ready to go and set others free. And Daddy, we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you've heard Pastor David say it, Pastor Don has said it several times. Anytime you're gonna teach on something, The enemy comes gunning. So I gave you the title of my message, Breaking the Chokehold of Worry. There has been plenty of opportunity in the past couple of weeks for worry. It literally started two weeks ago when we were trying to prep for men's breakfast. Some crazy stuff began to come in. My wife's been in the ER. We've been to the doctor a couple times. My daughter lost her job. There's been some crazy stuff that happened where worry could creep in. If, if we didn't be active about doing something about it. And we find in the Bible in numerous places, we hear, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't let that worry get in your heart. And I think that sometimes we look at that and we go, well, man, that's just because Jesus doesn't want the weight of that sitting on us. And that's definitely part of it. Jesus doesn't want the weight of that sitting on our shoulders. He wants to relieve that burden off of us. But there's something even more there that we're going to talk about this evening. We're going to see why we need to get rid of worry because it's even bigger than that. The enemy has a much bigger plan for worry in your life, and so we have to get rid of it. But before I give you the, some steps on how to get rid of it, I got to explain why. I'm the, I'm the guy that when I was a kid, my parents would say, hey, do this, and I would say, why? It wasn't because I was rebellious. I just wanted to know why. And so I think it's important sometimes to know the why so that you understand the importance of what you're doing and the steps that you're going to take. And tonight I want to look at a passage of scripture. We're going to stay in one of my favorite parables tonight. It's a parable that's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the parable of the sower. And I want to take a look at worry through a little different lens than maybe we have in the past. Okay? So if you'll allow me, we're going to jump into our notes. And we're going to start in Matthew 13. Those are on your notes. Matthew 13, 3 through 8. 
They're going to be up on the screen any minute. I can feel it. There we go. But they're in your notes as well. So Matthew 13, three through eight. Then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Underline verse seven, we're gonna spend some time here. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Verse eight, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. And then in verses uh, nine through 18, Jesus explains why he's talking in parables. Long and short of it was, he was fulfilling a prophecy out of Isaiah. And that's what he's telling his disciples. And then he picks back up in 19 through 23, which I love because he gives us the answer to the riddle, if you will. He says, hey, look, let me tell you what we're talking about here in this parable. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Verse 22 is where we're gonna focus because that's the explanation of verse seven. The seed falling among the thorns, underline thorns, refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, underline worries of this life, and the deceitfulness of wealth, underline that. Choke the word, making it unfruitful. Underline unfruitful. But the seed fallen on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it, and this is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. I think that so many times we'll hit this parable, and by the time we get through the first two soils, we begin to think that the third soil is just like the first two. It's like, okay, yeah, I get it. The seed didn't get into the soil. It didn't get below the rocks. It didn't get to where it needed to go. So it died and it withered and now it's said and it's done. I get it. We need a good heart, good soil. Seed does its job. But I really think that there's something more in this when we look at the third type of soil, the third heart in this parable, if you will, and so I want to take a look at it because what I really believe that we see in this third type of heart, this third soil, is that we actually see a snapshot, a picture, if you will, of why worry is such a big deal in the life of us as believers. So first I got to give you some key components. We got to know what we're looking at and what we're focusing on. Letter A, key components. The seed is the word. I'm going to bounce over to Mark 4:14. It's the same parable. It says the farmer sows the word. Number two, the soil is the hearer's heart. And I've got your references out there beside it. The soil is the hearer's heart. The thorns are worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth. Those things are tag teamed together in this. We're gonna talk a little bit about that. And then number four, the word is choked. Now, I got to be honest with you, for years, like I said, I read that parable the same way and I heard it the same way. By the time I got to number three, man, I was already trucking into the end of it because I knew where it was going. And then here, I would say about three years ago, the Lord began to show me something different in that. My wife would tell you, I, 
I talk about this parable a lot and I talk about that third type of soil a lot because I, I saw something in it and I began to ask the Lord to make sure that it never happened in my heart. And so that's what I wanna share from this evening. And to do that, we gotta look at the end of verse 22, okay? We gotta look at the end of verse 22, Matthew 13, 22. I'll read it again. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, now catch this, making it unfruitful. Do you see that? It makes it unfruitful. The insinuation is that it was fruitful at one point. There was fruit growing, otherwise it would have said, the seed hit the soil, worries came in, and it just stayed barren. But that's not what it says. It says that it was made unfruitful. And so that's what we need to focus on because we can't have the seed not bearing fruit in our heart. In this parable, the seed that we're talking about was probably a wheat seed, just so you know. This was a farming society that he was talking to and this is how you planted wheat. So what we're saying is, is that the wheat seed hit the soil, it began to grow, there was a wheat plant, it had fruit at the end of its stalk and it was bearing fruit, like I said, but then, the worries of this life began to creep in. Think, man, isn't that what worry does, the worries of this life? You'll be cruising along and everything is great and man, God is good and there's blue jays outside your window in the morning. Mortgage payment comes up and you just got a pink slip. The wife finds out that there's layoffs at her job. Car breaks down, you need new tires. They just begin to creep in. And when they do, it says that they begin to choke the word, that seed that's in our heart. But it's a different word for choke than we might think. It doesn't say it choked it to death. So this word means something different. Letter B. I gave you a Greek word here. The word choke in the Greek in this instance is the word nego. Nego. This is Remember, New Testament's Greek, Old Testament's Hebrew. The only reason that I give you the Greek word in this is because our language is soft. It's not that there's a problem with the translation, it's that our language is soft. I will look at my wife and say, baby, I love you, and then turn right around and say, man, I love ice cream, let's go get some. Those can't mean the same thing. The problem is not with the word love, the problem is in the fact that we've made it soft. It, well, when you go back to the original text, you get the full oomph of the word and not the softness of what we've made it, okay? So it's never the translation, it's our vernacular. And the definition of this word, nego, number one, it's used of thorns crowding down the seed sown and hindering its growth. By its very definition, it says that it was growing, it just got hindered. That's the definition of the word. So number two, we see that this person still has the living word in their heart, but it didn't bear in fruit. So it's alive, it's just sitting in there kind of emaciated and starved, and as Christians, that's a horrible place for us to be because the word, that's our power. That's our sword. It's how we fight the battles that we fight. The word has to produce and grow and bring crop in our lives, man, if it doesn't, we're hopeless. 
We need it to do what it was meant to do. And the fault is never with the word, it's always in us. The, the word is the word of God. It does its job when we set the environment. So now we're gonna jump down to letter C. Faith brings the fruit. Give me, give me time, I promise. We'll tie all this together, it'll happen. Letter C, faith brings the fruit in that seed. You see, number one, faith fertilizes the seed of the word, and that's what causes it to grow. Faith fertilizes it. Hebrews 11:1 1 in the Amplified says, now faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen. The conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. For by this kind of faith, the men of old gained divine approval. You continue to read down through Hebrews 11, man, I encourage you to. We call it the hall of faith because it talks about Noah, it talks about Moses, it talks about Abraham and all these things that they did through faith even though they didn't tangibly see something in the natural. It's powerful stuff. So that's how faith fertilizes the seed of the word, by the way. You see, the seed is unseen. It gets buried in our heart. It's unseen, just like our text here says. But then faith begins to water it, and it comes to fruition. The evidence then becomes seen. It grows in our heart because faith fertilized the seed. Number two, faith is our foundation. It's our very foundation. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, these are strong words. Listen to these words. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Here's why. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It all starts at faith. That's gotta be the foundation that we're standing on. On the other side of your notes, I gave you some synonyms and I was afraid I was going to say cinnamon. Praise God, I didn't. Um, synonyms for faith. Those synonyms are trust, belief, and confidence. Anytime you see the word faith in the word of God, you can replace it with any three of these words, okay? That's the definition in the Greek dictionary, if you will, for faith. So let's, just, let's do that real quick. And without trust, it's impossible to please God. Without belief, it's impossible to please God. Without confidence in God, it's impossible to please him. We see that faith boils down to trust. That's what it is. It's trusting God. It's not trusting in and of ourselves. It's trusting the most high God. But worry does something to that faith. It's actually one of the biggest hindrances to our faith because of letter D. Worry actually negates our faith. Worry negates our faith. I gave you the Webster's definition of negate right here, to cause something to not be effective. That's what worry does to faith in our lives. To see how worry negates faith, we have to go all the way back to our text, Matthew 13, 22. Remember it said worries, that word worry that we talked about? 
Here's another Greek word for you. It's in your notes. Number one, worry is the Greek word marimna, which also includes anxiety, by the way. So if you look up marimna in the Greek, the definition says that it is worry, it is anxiety, it is uh, care and concern in a negative sense, if you will, okay? That's what that word marimna means when we see it in our text. And the definition of that, those were synonyms for it, the definition in the Greek is this, separated from the whole, dividing and fracturing a person's being into parts. Listen to that, dividing and fracturing a person's being into parts. So worry actually creates a state of inner division in yourself, and that leads to doubt. We begin to think that there's another answer, another way, so part of us is believing, we wanna believe God, we wanna believe that seed that he put in our heart, but then all of a sudden we get this other part of ourself, it gets divided, it gets fractured. Man, I know you've experienced it, I have. I'm trying to stand in faith, worries come in, and all of a sudden I catch myself having to grab hold of that thing because I start thinking, man, really what I need is this. (laughs) I need this, and in this parable, that other thing is the deceitfulness of riches. Let's talk about that a little bit. I think if we're not careful, we read deceitfulness of riches and we can get a little lost on that. It's deceitful in this sense. We begin to think that money will take care of the worry. Whatever it is that's got your attention over here, the house payment, grandma's report from the doctor, little Johnny breaking his arm, we begin to think, okay, I don't really need God. (laughs) What I need is money. I gotta get money to take care of it. We begin to look to a resource to solve our problem instead of to the source. And we can't get stuck there. The resource can never take the place of the source because it can't handle it. If you begin to put all your weight over here on the resource, then you're gonna stay stuck and worried and there's always gonna be problems. Because God has all the resources, so you go to him, you put your faith, your trust there, and he then supplies that. Man, I started to chase a rabbit, sorry about that. (laughs) Now, you're going to see that when you read this parable in Mark and Luke, there's some other things that were added to it, but I got to tell you, really what God told me to talk about was straight out of Matthew, just this worry, because he doesn't want his kiddos tied up in it, okay? But there's other things there. Anything that takes the place, anything that you begin to think can take care of whatever the issue is other than God, that becomes the resource and it becomes that deceitful thing, okay? We don't want to get hung there. Number two, so what we see is is that worry blocks the power of faith through doubt. James 1, 6 through 8. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Look at verse 8 because such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. You see there, it's right there in verse eight. Worry comes in, 
doubt creeps in with it once you start worrying. That's where that division comes into play, that double-mindedness. You become unstable and you can't expect to receive anything. We don't want to get stuck there. When we end up in that place, that seed in our heart, it actually goes dormant. It doesn't die, okay? It's still there. It's the eternal word of the Most High God. It just ends up going fruitless for a little while. And what it's doing, it's waiting on the life-giving energizer, the fertilizer. That's the faith. Faith is the fertilizer that grows that seed. Letter E. I'm going to give you some things to help break free from that, okay? We're going to talk a little bit about breaking free from worry and anxiety. This was a big one for me. Number one, that's a freebie. They filled it in for you. Quit playing fetch. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him. That's the same word marimna, by the way, anxiety. Because he cares for you. It doesn't say throw your worry and then be like that golden retriever in the park that can't leave the ball alone that then runs back over and gets the ball. I think so many times we do that. We throw it, but then we chase it only to pick it back up again. And when we pick that thing back up, that's where it becomes to be an issue in our life. That's where the problem begins. This word cast, picture standing at the side of the ocean with a rock and you've got that rock and you back up and you cast it on the water and it skips out over the ocean. That's this word cast. So don't play fetch with it. Leave it alone. You're not playing some sort of game of back and forth catch with the most high God. He cares for you. So let him have it. Number two, do not worry. Matthew 6, 25 through 27. This comes right out of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the biggest, baddest, most powerful sermon that Jesus taught. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's smack dab right there in the middle of it in 6. He devotes an entire chunk to worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? The answer is no, you can't. But can I tell you this, if you get hung up in worry, you can take some hours off your life. You gotta get connected to the source so that he can take care of your life. Jesus wouldn't tell you to not worry if you couldn't do it. Think about that. He would never task us with an impossible task. We do our part, he does his part. That's how it works. So if he says, do not worry, you can do it. You cannot worry. You cannot walk in that thing. And then look at what he did in verse 26. He states a question, but he really poses it as a statement. He says, 
aren't you more valuable than the birds? As if to remind us that we're created in his image. We're children of the most high God. It's almost like Jesus was trying to get them over so that he could go, man, look, my daddy created those birds for you to enjoy, especially dove, quail, and chicken. I'm just saying. (laughs) My daddy created those birds for you to enjoy. And if he takes care of them just so that you can get joy out of them, then how much more will he take care of you? That's what he's telling us. So don't worry. He's got it. He hid all the cares of the world when he told them. Look, he talked about clothes, talked about food, talked about life. He said, don't worry about those things. It's going to be okay. Mm. Number three, find your promise. Find your promise. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 through 20 in the Amplified. For the Son of God... Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but has proved to be yes in him, true and faithful, the divine yes, affirming God's promises. For as many as, man, this is strong, guys. For as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are all answered yes. All the promises of Christ are answered yes. So through him we say our amen to the glory of God. This is a book of promises. It's not a book of fables. It's not a book of story tells. It's a book of promises. But you gotta find your promise to stand on it, okay? You can't stand on my promise. I have to know my promise because that's what my faith can be attached to. So you got to find your promise. You need a promise for your marriage. Is your marriage having some trouble right now? There's promises in here all about that. You know that the word of God says that what God joined together, let no man tear it apart. It's promise. But you got to find it. You got to know where it's at. You got to get that in you so that when that worry comes, that's what pops out. And that's how you battle that worry. Your kids running crazy. Maybe you got some teenagers that are doing things they shouldn't do. There's a promise. You have a promise. If you train up your child in the way they should go, when they're grown, they will not depart. That is your promise, but you need to know it. I can't tell it to you. It can't be good enough coming from my mouth. You got to get in there and find it so you can stand on it so that at midnight, when, you, when Johnny's not in his bedroom, you can stand on it. You need to know Psalms 91. It's a promise. (laughs) Psalms 91 says, hey, guess what? When you make the Lord your refuge, when he is your refuge, no evil will overtake you. It may fall at your left, it may fall at your right, but it will never, ever overtake you. But you have to know it. You've got to get in there and mine these promises out so you can stand on them. Man, it's powerful, guys. It goes on to tell us in Psalms 91 that he even, when we make him our refuge, that no deadly disease can enter our home. You got a bad report from the doctor? Maybe the C word came up? Not in your house. You stand on Psalms 91. 
jump over into Isaiah 53 and realize that Jesus paid the price for your healing. It doesn't say that he's gonna pay the price. It says he paid it. He purchased your healing with the stripes on his back. He paid a huge price for your healing. But you gotta know it. It's gotta be in you. You can't count on us to tell you about it. You gotta find your promise. Romans 8, 28 for somebody. (laughs) I was gonna leave this one alone. This one's one of my favorites, by the way. I stand on this one all the time. Maybe circumstances look a little crazy in your world and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know that Romans 8, 28 tells you as a child of the most high God that he makes every single thing work together for your good. For those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Say everything. In the Greek, guess what everything means? Everything. He makes it all work together for your good. (sighs) Number four, give God thanks. Give God thanks. So many times I think we miss this one. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything. There's that word marimna. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, you see it, thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Storms are raging outside. You need some peace that transcends all understanding. It doesn't happen by just going to him and going, oh, oh man, I got a pink slip at work. Man, Johnny's running away. I don't know what to do about all this. You need to do something. Fix it, Lord. Amen. <laughs> You're not going to have any peace. Truthfully, all you really did was go pick that care and that worry back up. You just played a game of fetch because you made it more important than your God. But you can go to him. Here's what you do. You go to him and you go, Father, hmm. I thank you. You make all things work together for my good. That pink slip happened and I don't care. It's for my good. I'm going to get a better job tomorrow. Little Johnny's out running the street, but you're going to bring him home because I've trained him up in the way he should go. And when he's grown, he won't depart. And while he's out there, you're his refuge. Send the angels to keep him from harm. And then when you do that, your whole paradigm changes. Everything shifts. And then you get some peace. And it guards your heart and it guards your mind. But you got to thank him for it first because that's the only way that it comes. That's the formula for peace right there, guys. God laid it out for us in black and white. It's, It's a really simple thing. When you thank him, you remember that he's a promise keeping God and that he's got a lot of good promises for you. Hebrews 11 said so. He wouldn't lie to you, I promise. And then last, but definitely not least, is point number five. Get in the presence of the Son. That's actually a play on words. Let me tell you why. (laughs) I learned a whole lot about wheat, and I learned a whole lot about thorns (laughs) as I began to really study this parable and boil it down. And here's the thing about wheat. It's actually pretty simple to grow. If you're a farmer and you grow wheat, you can come talk to me about it later if I'm wrong. 
I'll blame it on Google. <laughs> Sorry. But wheat is a real simple crop. Wheat takes life-giving water. By the way, the water of the word. <laughs> and it takes sunlight. You get those two things in proper combination, and guess what wheat does? It grows and produces a crop. That's what it does. That's how God designed it. And the ratio of water and sun, remember that whole 30, 60, 100 thing that we talked about at the end of that? That whole ratio has to do with the combination of that life-giving water and how much exposure to the sun it has. Man, that's a sermon in and of itself. I'll let Pastor Ken or Pastor Don preach that one. And here's what I learned about the thorns. The way that they choke it out may not be like you think. Sometimes I, in my mind, before I started researching this, what I saw, I saw like a briar patch like we'd see on TV where all the thorns and those hardwood things grow together and they're about this high off the ground and you can't get anything through them except for that rabbit from that story. That's not these thorns. These thorns grow about yay tall, somewhere between three to four meters, so about right here. Wheat grows about this tall, maybe this tall, if you got all the combination right. Once the thorns get to right here, then they branch out. And they actually create a canopy of shade that the wheat can't get the sunlight from. So it gets enough light to grow, but not enough light for the stalk to produce a crop. So you got to get in the presence of the sun. Go to the, go to the gardener. <laughs> get some time in his presence. He'll get those thorns pulled out of the way. As, because as you get to know him, you begin to trust him the sunlight then comes in, it floods that seed that's in our heart. And not only does it grow, but it begins to produce a crop. So you gotta get in the presence of the sun. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. It's his promise. You go spend some time with him, guess what? He'll come and sit down right there with you. That was his plan all along, go all the way back to Genesis. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's what he wants to do. But you got to get in his presence. You see, faith really boils down to trust. And the deeper your relationship goes, your trust will grow. Now, I want to encourage you guys to trust him. <laughs> Some of you know me really well. I can tell you there have definitely been seasons in our life where the cares of this world could creep in. I know what it's... I know what it's like to have little Johnny out there. I do. I know what it's like to be in year number five of a marriage and going, how are we going to turn another page? But you know what I can tell you? He's never, ever let me down. Every single one of his promises for us was yes and amen when I watered it with the faith of the word. God gave me something to encourage somebody with, maybe several somebodies. It's always dangerous when I ask God to give me a specific word. 
There's some of you that have not been able to trust God. You want to. You try. <laughs> but something keeps you from being able to push through and finally trust him. And here's what he told me to, to remind you of. He didn't cause that hurt. He didn't do it. He didn't lie to you. He didn't leave you stranded. He didn't do it. Broken, busted flesh did that to you. God did not do that to you. And you can trust him. But you got to take that step. You got to step out there and you got to trust him. You got to put the excuses aside and put your trust in the most high God. And then I'll meet you where you're at. And I'm telling you, I'll testify. You've heard me. You can trust him. Numbers 23, 19. I end on this. It says, God is not a human that he should lie. And he's not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? The answer is no, he doesn't do any of those things. He does what he says he's going to do because he's a good and faithful God. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.